Morning, church family. Morning. Rise and shine. What a beautiful day the Lord has given us. Absolutely. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just happy you're here, uh, here in person and online. Just, uh, just uh, thankful that the Lord has led you here because you didn't get here by accident. I mean, some of you might have been dragged here, but you can thank them later that they dragged you here. Hey, we start a, my favorite book today, the book of Jude. Uh, we'll not be rushing through this one, obviously, the 25 verses. There's a lot in these 25 verses. We're only taking the first four verses of Jude today, and you'll know why. That will set the stage for the remaining of the letter. But it's a very important letter. Uh, it's one of those letters that if you say, if you, when's the last time you read Jude? <laughs> Most people go, Jude? Jude? Because uh, if it, if it depends on your size of your Bible. It depends on if you even catch the one-pager. And uh, like a lot of them, you miss it before you hit Revelation. So, hey, with that said, hey, let's pray, and then we'll get right into the Word. Father, we thank you again uh, for bringing us all here today, Lord. It's not, um, there's no such thing as by chance. There's a, pur a purpose and a plan for each of us to sit and to open up your word. May we be hearers. May we have our ears are open and ready to hear. And softened by, as we worshiped you in song, may our hearts be softened to receive what you have for us today. Speak, speak to us specifically uh, by your spirit of God, through the word of God. Just speak to us specifically. Like, there's no question in our mind you were speaking to us. So that we will hear you, receive what you have but it may change our lives in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. The book of Jude. The book of Jude. I'm going to read the four verses, and then I'm going to read you another passage to set the stage of why just these four verses. Greetings to the called is really kind of that a greeting in the very first part of every letter. There's a greeting here, and it says, Jude, a bondservant, of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I, find, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men, or women, have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out by this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the, the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. When we take a look at these four verses, I want to now, if you would please, uh, flip to your Bibles. Keep your finger there in Jude, but flip to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And let me understand, so you understand, why take up arms? It's a kind of, not to be a catchy title, it is really understanding the fact that we're in spiritual warfare as believers. And that is what the, the letter here from Jude to the church, the believers, is about. Is that there are, we're in a spiritual warfare and there are things that we need to understand. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open up my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We see how clear in the scriptures for you and I, that as believers, there is another, also there are, <laughs> there are non-believers. We were once non-believers. We didn't understand. We lived in darkness. And we were ruled by those of the darkness. That is demonic forces. We saw the description as we read through Ephesians that it's not just Satan, but all the fallen angels, one-third of the angels who followed Satan. And he has used those, those vessels, those vehicles, to mess with God's people. To try to stop God's purpose and will in their lives. To stop from the beginning of time. And then there's different powers and different uh, powers of this darkness that happens. Principalities. There's also rulers of darkness of this age. There's also spiritual hosts of wickedness. And, 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 and people that, got, that opened their lives to allow demons to come into their lives to rule it. And that's how God, then I should say Satan, uses these people who are demonic to, to cause havoc in this world. It's real. It's not just some movies that you love which you should not love. I mean, so don't, don't use it later on. But pastor, it's just reality. You just told me it was scriptural and so I can watch these demonic movies? No, I'm not saying that. Don't twist it. I'm saying stay away from all forms of evil, the Bible says. Because what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to what we're dealing with today. We see this letter, this little letter, one of the smallest ones, 25 verses, written somewhere around 70 AD. We know in the scripture and history, we know this is, is, is certainly at, at the very end here. We're talking just the apostle John's probably around by this point. It was written after this, written the second Peter was written. Peter's gone. I mean, all the apostles gone. And we find this man named Jude or in the original language, Judas. But English translators have moved it to Jude. Why? Would you want to be associated with the name Judas, Judas Iscariot, the one who <laughs> turned in the Lord with, for 30 pieces of silver? Even today, even non-believers know Judas is probably not a name I should name my kid. They just don't know why, but something says we shouldn't. It's not on the top 10 list, you know what I'm saying? Unless you're in the satanic circle of, of demonic uh, you know, Wicca. Maybe that is a top name, but even then I'm not even sure. But we see this letter written for believers at a church or churches. We see in Mark chapter three, verse uh, chapter six, verse three, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joses or Joseph, and Judas, or we refer to as Jude, and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? So we know that as we look at who is the author of this, we have a clear understanding as we see in verse 1, Jude 1 verse 1, Jude, a bondservant, doulos, this is the Greek word there, of Jesus Christ, and brother of James to those who are called sanctified. In your Bibles, you might have the word beloved. It's a good translation. They're beloved by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. We see this name popping up multiple times. And as we see who is the author, we have to understand who were the 
half-brothers of Jesus Christ, and I just gave it to you in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Jude, Judas, being one of those, along with James, the book of James, when we studied the book of James. Those were two bros. Now, we also know we have Simon here. Most people don't talk about Simon. But when uh, James died, and he was the head of the church in Jerusalem there, Simon came in and became the bishop or a head of that church when James died. What about Jude? Jude was an evangelist. He traveled around spreading the gospel. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the 12. He was, remember, him and James did not believe that Jesus Christ, their bro, they raised up in the same family. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, God in the flesh. <laughs> Can you imagine over that bowl of cereal? The, the, the little goody two-shoe brother of yours who did nothing wrong. Nothing. Never sinned. And you're a mess. And always in comparison. You don't think it happened during those days just like it doesn't happen today? But wouldn't that be a, the greatest brother who never beat you up? Or is there always looking tentatively over all his sisters? Yes, Joseph and Mary had many kids after Jesus. Now we see this taking, setting the stage here, and here's Jude, an evangelist, a brother of, G of Jesus. They didn't come to a point of salvation and turning their lives over to Jesus as, as he refers to them. He doesn't sit there and say, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he didn't say that. Because that blood level, that bloodline, that family line does not compare to one that is spiritual. He says, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave. I am to serve my master, my Lord, which is, happens to be his half-brother. Same mother, not the same father. But we see that Judas was sitting here and literally looking through. We see he was probably and very clearly not the apostle of Jude. Because if you knew of the apostles, there was a Jude of the son of James. We see that in Luke 6.16. That it's not that Jude. And you'll say, well, I know other Judes in the, in the, in the New Testament. Yes, there's six different people named Judas. But the best evidence identifies this as the one mentioned in Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3, which is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Like the other half-brothers of Jesus, including James, literally did not believe. How do we know that they did not believe? Go back to read John 7, 5 and Acts 1, 14. It's clear. They did not know. Now, when he says, I'm a bondservant, a blood relative of Jesus, again, don't pass by these words in the scriptures about what, how Jude saw his relationship with Jesus. He didn't put any weight such as Jesus didn't put the weight on family over a spiritual relationship of brothers and sisters. Jesus spoke of this relative or blood relationship as being unimportant compared to the spiritual. Where do we see that? In Mark 3, verses 31 through 35. When Jesus being ministering to all these people and all of a sudden they're, 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 you know, his apostle sees his, the mother Mary and his, his brothers and sisters are coming. And what, what do they say? Jesus, your mom and your brothers. are. Who is my mother? Who's my brothers? But those who follow me. Go back and look at Luke 11, verses 27, 28, and see how Jesus saw a relationship like you and I have as spiritual brothers and sisters with Jesus compared to the blood relative line. 
So without a doubt, Jude valued the fact that Jesus was his half-brother, but that he grew up in the same household. Of course, there's a relationship there. But even more valuable to him was the new relationship he had with Jesus. When did that new relationship take place? He's always known of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. They were probably had to live in the same room. So it's not like he didn't know Jesus. He knew of him as his brother. He did not know him as a savior. When did that take place? When him and the eyes of James and his family opened up? After the cross and resurrection. That is when everything changed. The relationship changed. For Jude and for James and for all. See, when you think that through a little bit, many people have grown up in a religious family and has always have heard of Jesus. Just like Satan has heard of Jesus. In fact, Satan knew Jesus more and better than you. So just knowing of Jesus will not save you. But once you realize who Jesus is and understand what he's done at the cross and his resurrection, that he lives and he reigns and is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and that he will soon come back for his bride, for all believers, and bring him into, under, in, in his fold, into heaven. Once you're, you, you, someone, when the Holy Spirit is knocked at the door of your heart and you opened up your heart and said, yes, Jesus, come in, take over my life. I, I want a new relationship with you. I don't want to know of you. I want to know you personally. And when you sense that knocking at the door of your heart and you open your life up to him, just like Jude, just like James, you'll have a new relationship. It will be new. It will be completely, you will be transformed and changed. There's no question about that. Jude went from, I know my brother, to completely change and believed who Jesus Christ was now as because of the cross and the resurrection. And he, now he gives his whole life and he evangelizes spreading the gospel around the, the known world that day. Willing to sacrifice his life. But we see here in the scripture the fact that they were, what does he say here? He says, called to those who were called, to those who are sanctified, those who are preserved. There's three things there, very important in verse 2. He's writing to Christians. These are, these are not uh, some just evangel uh, you know, evangelistic track or some kind of a deal that he's working out here of things with believers. He's saying, I want you to understand your relationship and my relationship with Christ. He's trying to get his identifying his, the readers, the Christians, you and I and those at the time. He's trying to sit there very specifically say they, that we were called. That God came, Jesus came to knock at the door of every single heart. Not just some chosen few. He has chosen to come to give you an opportunity to turn your life to him, to follow him, to be saved. And so they were called a person who is a Christian because God has called him and her. The, the important thing is the, to answer, to answer the door. He's called on every single person. He knocked at the door of your heart and you have chosen. I pray that everyone here has given, has heard and knocked at the door of the heart. And he opened up your heart, opened up the door of your life and allow him to come in. Did you answer? Because if you're just hearing a knock, it's not going to save you if you don't answer the door. If he's ringing your doorbell, you better be ringing and you better answer the ring. He gives everyone an opportunity to do that. Regardless of the state that you find yourself in this morning. You could be really dark. Ask Mary Magdalene. You could even be demon-possessed. When Jesus comes knocking at the door and be set free from all the 
bondage of sin. Have you answered the door? Well, we'll give you an opportunity to do that today if you haven't. Not only has they're called, but he, he says here they were sanctified, beloved by God the Father. They recognize and realize they're loved. Do you know you are loved by God? Yes, I know you're sitting there saying, you have no idea, Pastor, what my life is and what I've been doing in the darkness. When you talk about darkness and wickedness and possibly demonic, you, that, 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 that's, uh, you're talking like it's more like me. I just need you to know that he's, you're loved. And he wants to save you from those dark places. He does. The question is, are you willing? Do you want to be saved? That's the question. Because he never forces you and I. As much as we would like, they would force you to <laughs> force me and you to force me, right? No, he, he lovingly comes and offers a gift. He has a gift of, of eternal life. Do you want it? You just have to say yes. I want it all. I want my life to change. See, Jude understand this. It was so radical. Can you imagine living in the household of Jesus himself and pushed off? Imagine what he used to say to his brother and just look at him like, are you crazy? My brother's crazy. Don't even listen to him. And then realize there's the Savior of the world. No different today. Many people push off Jesus. Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he, he reveals himself to you. And you're like, wow. I rejected him for so long. But he hasn't given up on you. He keeps knocking. Pay attention. The worst thing you could ever do if he stops knocking, then you're, there's no hope for you. Today you have hope because you're here. That's why you're here if you're, you don't know him. And if you do know him and you haven't been walking well with him, he's, you're walking more cardinally, more worldly. Today's a day to, when we, before we come to the table, come to the communion, remember the day of your salvation and get right with God. Surrender all. Give it all over. Start fresh. Start new. Because he loves you. Not only have you called, not only have you been sanctified because of the love, but he's going to preserve you in Jesus. Jesus Christ is our guardian, our protector. Do you not need a guardian and protector? Oh, yes, you do. You may not think so, but you do. Because there's a demonic forces on the round, on the outside is looking to take you out. Not only take you out, your family out, your children out, and everyone you love. He's looking to destroy your life as a believer. He's already got you as a non-believer. He's just keeping you away from coming to Jesus. That's all he's doing. If, he, if you don't even get tempted to go to Jesus, he just lets you go because you'll self-destruct because he just, you're, you're, you're part of his family. Yes, part of Satan's family. You're already destined for hell. So he just has to make sure you don't get someone get near you to actually tell you about the, the good news of Jesus Christ and how he can save you. He just keeps people away from you and keeps really dark people around you. But as a believer, he, we need a guardian. We need a protector. Because it's real. And we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, because of the cross and the resurrection, after that event, a number of disciples we find in the upper room there, and he was one of them up in that upper room, I guarantee you. Everything changed. He saw. He saw those years of what Jesus was doing in the ministry when it started. He saw the miracles taking place. He heard what the, his mother was saying and others were saying about his brother. He, he, he was there. He, he would have been very close by or hearing of the stories of what took place when they beat Jesus beyond recognition. When they nailed and hammered those nails in the hands of the feet and hands of Jesus, his brother, and put him on the cross, the most worst persecution the Roman government could have done. 
He, he heard. He may have even saw. He saw Jesus, his brother, telling J, uh, to John, John, this is mother, mother, this is John, relationship, because he knew he was going to die. He was turning over. He didn't sit there and say, Jude or James, can you take over and be the, 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 the patriarch, the, the man ahead of the household here? Because I'm about to die, the oldest son. I'm going to die. He's now passing down, and you take care of my No, Jesus didn't give it to a non-believer to watch over his mother. He turned over his mother, who needed protection and guidance, to the believer, which was John a non-family member. He saw that. That was against all culture. It should have passed it to one of the other brothers, but no, no, no. His mother needed to be protected and guided and encouraged by a believer. And that's where John came into play. But Jude was also the one that heard and watched and saw the fact that he was buried. He knew he was buried. And then he also heard the cry from Mary, Peter, John. Did you hear? Jesus is risen. He's alive. He was in that, he was in that, that rocked tomb for three days, and he's alive. Jude heard it. Jude experienced it. Jude believed it. Jude believed that Jesus died and was raised from the dead on the third day. And he knew without a question that he was God in the flesh, the Messiah. That changed his life. Because what? Because he believed. How are we changed? From a non-believer to a believer, we choose to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he died for our sins and rose on the third day. And he's alive. Jude would have been a part of the 500 witnesses after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus dwelt on this land for 40 days and over 500 people saw him. He would have been one of them. Transformed his life. And that's why he can say in verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, you can pass through that really quick, but don't pass too quickly. Because what does that mean when you have a greeting to someone, mercy to you? If I said mercy to you, what am I saying? I'm saying to look up, look into heaven. <laughs> God's mercy are new, or mercies are new every morning. Look up. When I say peace to you in a greeting, that's what I'm saying is look within. The peace of God can be dwell within your, in your life. But you first have to look up to him. And then he will have that peace that will come within. But the third greeting is what? Love. Look around. There should be a love that just permeates from your life that will touch every, around everyone you, you come in contact of the love of God. Not love of self. You died of self when you turned it over to Jesus. Now allow him to live through your life. That's why you can have mercy and peace and love. And he didn't say just a single, not a simple, I, I, add, I, I hope mercy and peace and love is added to your life. No, no, no. Jude knows I'm looking for multiplication in your life. I want, in his greeting to them, he says, I want you to have mercy times mercy times mercy. I want you to have peace times peace times peace. I want you to have love times love times love. I want it multiplied in your life. I don't want just one time deal. Not just a little bit of trickle's experience of this. I want it to multiply in your life as a believer. That's his prayer to them. That was his greetings to them. And that is mine to you, my brothers and sisters. I pray it will multiply in your life. That you're radically changed. That the fact that you have understanding of his mercy and understanding of his peace and understanding of his love to the depths that he wants you to be. What is the purpose of this letter for Jude? 
It's twofold. He is, as we read the rest of this, the, 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 this letter, he is going to expose the false teachers that are coming and want to destroy you. The false teachers that have infiltrated in the Christian community and he wanted to encourage these Christians to take up arms. You got to defend, man. You got to defend the faith. Not your body, not your physical. Defend your faith. Don't allow the false teachers to come in and twist and change the scripture. If you add to the scripture, you are a legalist. Stop adding. If you take away or, or diminish the value of the scripture, you become a liberal and you become a moderate, what we call liberal, moderate, religious person. Stop it. Stick to the truth. Study the truth. And stop being influenced by the false teachers and all these good teachers that sound good and, and tickle your ears. That's what the scripture tells us would happen at the end times. And you will be swayed to walk away from the truth of God, who Jesus is. We've been warned. If this is the first time you're ever hearing this, you've been warned. It's prevalent everywhere. Why? Because the inner can get into your house in so many different ways that they didn't even have to deal with. It had to have someone literally physically walking into the gathering in that house from a side door is what the scripture is. We will read. It's like a side. They come in and sneak into these little fellowships and start spreading their little messages. And it's 99% accurate according to the scripture. It's the 1% to 2% will kill you. You realize kids understand it? I remember first getting saved and first ministry. Thank God, the first ministry that God called me to and, and Kathleen was the children's ministry. Because I was able to, to grow and mature and understanding in that ministry. And I always gave the example to kids. Oh, my favorite thing. You know what my favorite thing is, kids? Brownies. I know it's brownies. You're right. Smell good, look good. Ooh, but the question is, will they taste good? Oh, yes. You wouldn't eat them if, you, if, they, if they weren't good tasting. But what happens if I had a, we had a little dog named uh, Kaiser at the time. Miniature little schnauzer, a little brute. So what happened if I put a little bit of his dog doo-doo in those brownies? Just a smidgen. Would you eat it? You wouldn't do that, Pastor Corey. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put dog doo-doo in it. You're right. I would never do that. But there are some who would. That's what it is. People just sneak in the, careful with my words, Stuff that should not be part of the Bible, the truth. You gotta watch, you gotta listen. You gotta be Bereans, my brothers, sisters, you gotta know the scripture. But don't get to a point where you become legalistic and critical spirited over it. But don't get so modern, liberal thinking, like anything can go, because you're gonna lose it. What do you what do you mean by that? Well, let's keep continuing. Verse 3, beloved, while I was very, very key, very strong word in the Greek, very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, in, in other words, encouraging you to contend earnestly for the faith. What faith? We're going to talk about that. It's the faith, not a faith, the faith, Christianity faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude's initial desire was to write about our common salvation. 
Isn't it great? We're all saved. We're all going to heaven. Jesus is coming back for us. This is great. This is beautiful. We're going to be with him for eternity. We're going to serve him for eternity. Oh, what is it going to be like with him in heaven? Oh, what is it going to be like when we come back to earth and rule and reign with him on earth? We could talk about all of these beautiful things. And we should. And that's what Jude wanted to put out in this little letter to his, his fellow brothers and sisters to encourage them. Oh, isn't it going to be great? We have, all, we have the same salvation. We're saved how? By faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is it. Isn't it beautiful by the grace of God? That is just purely the grace of God. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't work for it. It is a gift of grace given to us. But he couldn't do it. Because the Holy Spirit says, Jude, that's not what I want you to write. Jude, here are the words that I need you to write down on a letter and give to my people. Your brothers and sisters, but my people. You need to let them know that you need to encourage them. You need to contend earnestly. You need to fight back against people who are coming in to twisting the scriptures, twisting the gospel, watering it down. Does it not happen? It happened then and it happens today. It went from all the way from the pendulum swing of you, to be able to be saved. You had to first, you know, bring in and be circumcised to be a Jew and then before you can be a Christian. That's not scriptural. Or you go to the other side of the pendulum and say, you can just live your life however you want to. You're saved now. You can just live as everyone. He accepts you. He loves you. All, all roads lead to heaven. That is lies. Yes, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. But not all will stay with Jesus. He will, some who choose to reject him will say, depart from me, I know you not. Some say you can just, you can have marriage or not be in marriage and still live together. It's okay as a Christian. You'll have some people who sit there and say, you can have two partners, two women, two men together. It's okay. It's, it, we're still Christians. You don't have to listen and understand that any of this. Only certain things in the scriptures are accurate. It's just man. It's just not accurate. It goes on and on and on and on. Those are false teachers. But, the, but he's not a pastor. She's, she, she's, she's, she's not, it doesn't matter. It's a term meaning someone who opens up their mouth and communicates what they say is godly or God's truth, and it's not, that is what we refer to as a false teacher. So don't say just because they don't have some title as pastor or reverend or whatever. It's just your buddy or your, your friend who seems to be spouting things off that he or she got on the internet that has been led to them to be missed, to be um, bewitched by the false things that are out there. You got to be guard all the time. Aren't we happy that the Spirit of God changed Jude's writing to what he was writing today to warn us that false teachers are everywhere and they're creeping in? We will see this. But he's saying, you must, we must, I must, we must. This is the only place in all of the scripture is this phrase, contend earnestly. Nowhere else in the Bible you will find those two words. And that phrasing is only right here. Jude is saying it is absolute imperative that you contend. That word contend is a military term. It's also an athletic term, but mostly a military term about taking up arms, a call to arms. Get ready. We're going to battle. Don't, don't be sitting back and sleeping. It's time to be woken up here. 
Because this is going to happen. You're going to contend it. Even from an athletic term, it means to be strengthened from. It means to agonize. It means to, to literally speaks of hard work, diligent work, continuous work. It's a um, uh, present imperative in the language. It's continuously. He's saying we must be like that every day. Because you never know that person, certain men are going to creep in into your, your time of fellowship or time of some kind of relationships. They're going to creep in somehow on the internet. Somehow they're going to find you and, 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 and befriend you in Facebook. Whatever it is, they're going to find a way to come against you and they'll figure it out. But he says, I exhort you. I earnestly beg you here. You must be on guard. Take up arms because the enemy is coming in. We do not fight against flesh and blood. That's why I read Ephesians. It's not the person. It's the influences of that person or on that person that's causing them to teach or share things against the scripture. And only through prayer and supplication can we fight against this darkness and pray for the person who seems to be used by Satan to spread this falseness pray for their salvation and pray for the change of heart love them to Christ love them to Christ because God died for that person just as much as he died for you There are positive ways to influence or to earnestly contend. You can put out, be a solid witness to the people around you in your community, in your family, and your friends. You can dis distribute out tracts. You can train others up as ambassadors or disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We go out and reach people and disciple them up in the truth. You can encourage and strengthen others who are out there faithfully doing the work. As pastors, I'll take your prayers every day. I'll take those any day. And others who are out there sharing the gospel and, 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 and missionaries and others, pray for them and pray for them and pray for them, encourage them, encourage them and, and provide in any way you can to continue to help them to do the work that God's called them to do. But there's also a negative. We can contend for the faith in a negative way as well by not supporting and not encouraging and calling out those who are called saying things that are falsely. If you're in some time of fellowship or, or, or somewhere at work and, something, and someone says something and you just go, I'm not going to say anything. Even though you know it's wrong, it's not true, but they, they, they act like they're authority of it, but you know, you know the scripture, but you don't say anything. I pray that you'll have the boldness to give them. You'll say, that's interesting what you just said. But what about Ephesians 6 verse 3? You know, Whatever the verse it is, it's appropriate that God gives you. Tell them, what about this verse? I know what they're going to say. What, what is that? They won't even know what the scripture says. And if they're really trained up, they've got their things down really well because they've been trained up how to get their cultish views across. Jehovah's Witnesses know how to defend it, try to get across. Mormons try to know how to do these. It goes on and on and on, but you need to know it more. Because we have the scriptures, and once you get to the scriptures, they don't like, they end the conversation, they move on, because they know they're not going to sway you. So there's a positive sense, there's a negative way, but there's also a practical sense. We can contend that the faith, for the practical sense, but we living uncompromising Christian lives. And we give credit to the Lord for everything he's doing in and through your life. But if you sit there and say you're a Christian and then go live like a non-Christian, you're compromising your witness. You're blowing it. You've got to come back. You've got to then confess. Hey, you know the other day when I said... Drunkenness is a sin. And I said that you can be a Christian, you can just drink however you want to because that's the liberal, modern, Christian thing to do. 
I'm being humbled enough to tell you as a non-believer, I was swaying you from the truth. The, the truth is very clear. You can't live together and not be married. Fornication, adultery. I mean, you call it out and be humbled and call it out so they know back what the scripture says and now you're being corrected and you need to now correct that with them. Parents, you need to do that with your children. When you screw it up, you need to humble yourself and tell your children you screwed it up. And why you screwed it up? Because the scripture says this and you had false teaching or something came in your head. You believe this was fine to do and, it, and you know it wasn't. You must. Because you must contend. You cannot allow the enemy to creep into your house or into your life or any other relationship that you have because it will compromise it. But it's the faith that you're talking about. Not just any faith. Not the faith you've created. He's saying the faith here in the language. The one and only faith. The gospel right from the scripture. It's the essential truth of the gospel that makes it a true Christian and, and it has what holds us together in a common, common salvation. Not some quasi-multi-religions. You saw the bumper stickers of coexisting and that's a perfect example of someone who's taken all these religions and trying to, all roads lead to heaven, we can all dwell together in unity. That's not scriptural. <laughs> That's completely against the scripture. And there's so many verses in the New Testament around this faith that needs to be solid. I'll give you two of them and from a time perspective. I will not be able to read all of them. But Acts 6 7. That we must contend earnestly in the, for the truth. We see the faith in the body of truth. It must be held true from the history of that church history that took and defined it when we saw that in Acts 2.42. We need to stick to the scriptures as a church. Go back to Romans 6.17. Go read Galatians 1.23. We must stick to the scripture. Don't let this modern version of the church, of entertainment and all these other things that are clouding and causing people to walk away from the truth and live compromised lives. And you notice the word here, once. God only had to give us the truth once. So anyone who comes in and says, we have new truth, you know what you're dealing with as false teachers. Our guru has received a message from God, and this is some really new truth. You know you're dealing with false teachers. Do not listen and rebuke them in the name of the Lord. May the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you. Even though the message was given to us once, and we all received this faith, the faith, it was delivered one time. But it doesn't need to be delivered again because we received it. But we take that truth and we distribute that truth out again and again and again and again around the world. But it was delivered by God himself to the world through the apostles and the prophets once. Go back and read Ephesians 2 verse 20. For all, it was for all people, not just certain people, not just certain ones chosen, but for all people means that this faith was for everybody. We don't have the option to simply make up and follow our own faith and still be true to God. This faith is for all, but today it isn't popular really to believe that the faith, the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. Today it's very popular. Most people want to believe in the faith that they make up and they go along with whatever they choose, like some smorgasbord. Here's a common phrase I think I've heard, getting to see more and more common. That is, people believe the faith that is in my heart. 
I follow the faith that's in my heart. My response is, did you know your heart is wicked and so wicked it's beyond your own understanding? So I would stop following your heart and follow the Lord Jesus. And we have to take up our arms and may be willing to say that truth in love to every person who says it because they've been deceived. Verse 4. We find that we're going to contend for the faith, yes. Why? Verse right here. He writes it to us. For certain men, and I say women, I've had a few, come into the church. It's not just men. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. That's good news. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God of, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Certain men have crept in unnoticed. They're very sly. They're very sneaky. They're very, they blend well. They just kind of chameleon-like. They just say, okay, let's, what's this church? Oh, they're really Pentecostal. Man, let me get the Pentecostal going so they'll accept me. Ooh, let's go to this church. They seem really more laid back, more conservative. I can do that. I can put that on. I can do it. So it's only for it's only 15-minute church. I can handle the 15-minute church. Well, you know. <laughs> I won't go there. I don't think that was from the Lord, so let me just bring that back. They always come in unnoticed because they don't come in with a little badge that says, danger, I'm a false teacher. But they typically what I see in the patterns and even the ones we've experienced here, they will come in and proclaim they know more of the Bible than you do. I see creep and I think, the word crep, but I mean creep. <laughs> More like snake. They slither in. Watch your families, my brothers. Watch your families. Don't let any snakes sneak, slither into your family. Know what your children are reading, know what your children are watching. Know what your wife is reading and watching. And wives, keep your husbands accountable. Know what they're reading and watching. The enemy is trying to take you out. Even the church. See, certain men have a destiny. And that is the good news here. Yes, they may creep in. They might get away with some things. But long ago, God marked out these people for condemnation. They're going to be judged. God will deal with this situation. We don't have to fear these things. I don't fear these things. I don't fear. I just watch over the flock because God's called me to watch every single person comes in and out. And I have great leaders and people who are like-minded who God brought in here to watch over the flock, to be able to watch over. And God gives me discernment. God allows me to see things. And I know I'm not a 15-minute teacher. <laughs> Some of you might want to, your bladders would like me to be a 15-minute teacher. And sometimes you would want me to skip a lot of verses because they're too pertinent, they're too close to home to you. But I'm going to teach the whole counsel of God so that you will not be underfed, be malnourished. Because if you're malnourished and you're underfed, that's when disease can take hold in your life like any of like your body. If you're undernourished, not well watered, you're not taken care of, lack of sleep, under, stressed out, you are vulnerable to sickness. It's the same thing spiritually. If I am underfeeding you or I'm not encouraging and watering you with the word of God and making sure you're healthy sheep, then disease has ability to come in and creep in and take hold. But I assure you, if you're a false teacher, you walk in here, you stick here for about a one or two Sundays, you can't handle. The conviction will not allow you to stay here. That's why I don't worry about it. 
because you know you can't find a foothold because anytime you turn to right or left, that person knows the scripture and you can't peddle your wares because that's what they're doing. They always go find those two or three people and say, let me tell you about my book. Let me tell you about my blog. Let me go follow me online. Do this and watch this. Have you listened to this guy? Have you listened to this guy? What are you talking about? We're walking in here ready to be fed, and you're talking about all these other teachers, and you want me to go listen to this person and go read this and read this book and do that? No, no, read the Word of God. There's 66 books. Tell me if you've gone through them this year. And studied them. Have you? And you're telling me to go waste my time to read other things about the Bible? Read the Bible, my brothers and sisters. Study it. Be a Berean. So that you're so healthy that anyone who creeps into here, you will deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. You will deal with it. You'll look and say, that's false. And who are you? And let me bring an elder over and let me go find the pastor. Because I guarantee you they want to meet you. Oh no, never mind. I only had to kick out two people who were false teachers. And I only had to do it because I could sense it came and face to face and said, what are you peddling? But before you leave, let me tell you about the gospel. And let me tell you about Jesus Christ who loves you and died for you on the cross. And he sees all things. He knows all things. And the scripture tells me, if you don't change, you are marked for condemnation. And I don't want that for you. Because what's going to happen is these ungodly men, the scripture says, notice what takes place. You will turn the grace of God into lewdness. Boy, do we see that in the world of religion today. There are two things here. The turning the grace of God into lewdness. There are men and women out there receiving the grace of God, or they talk about the grace of God, and then they turn it around and use that grace of God of being saved to turn around and to live their sexual immorality in their lives. They take the grace of God and say, now I can live however I want to live. I can speak the foul language and no big deal. It's just the culture where I work. And I'll tell every man, I've, again, I used to, I've been there, done that. And God just tri- took that away. It turns my stomach when I hear the words. A foul mouth. It's a sin. And don't let any church or anyone else, and you can find the churches out there telling you, you, it's okay. You can, you can, it's your part of the military culture. That's just the way it is. You'll be fine. You can just live your, you're grieving the spirit of God if in any sin is dominating in your life. Let the Spirit of God transform you so that it's no longer what's coming because what comes out of your mouth is from your heart. That is from the Scripture. That's not my words. So stop using it as an excuse and tolerating any sin in your life because churches out there and others will say, you'll be totally fine, it's no big deal. Not only are the foul mouth that's going on around in that, in that mouth of yours, but all of a sudden these people not only promote it. You get churches out there actually pastors swearing from the pulpit because we're relevant. We're trying to be relevant as they have their glass of wine up there and was served wine and beer as you walk in and you're sitting there and saying, Is, let's just toast the Lord. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. And if they're not doing it here, they have their own little home fellowships, the little group fellowships, and it's part of their little community, and they get to house to house, go from house to house, drinking and swearing and, and living up like they're Christians and they're dwelling together. And we're Christians. 
They've all been bewitched. That's not how God calls us to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. You think God is pleased with what the world is doing in the church? Churches? With homosexuality? Bestiality? Fornication? Adultery? Do you think that the Lord doesn't see all of those things that's happening in the church? In the world, of course, that's all they know. But in the church and say you're still a Christian church and living and honoring God in the church? You're in darkness. <laughs> you have been absolutely bewitched if you're a believer. Now, if you're in the church, you're coming to church, and you're trying to figure this thing out, I understand you. Now you know the truth. I know the Spirit of God is touching your heart. You need to surrender it to God and say, God, forgive me because I'm a wicked man. I need to be saved. And he'll save you. And he'll start sanctifying you and transforming your life if you will let him. Because God loves you and he won't give up on you. The second thing we see in the, at the end of the letter here is he denied the only Lord God. These false teachers start denying who Jesus really is. These certain men deny that the Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And they do this by refusing to recognize who Jesus said he was. And if you deny who Jesus is, you deny the Father. We're not told specifically how these men denied the Lord. It may be that they denied him with their ungodly living. That's how they were denying the Lord. Or it may be that they denied him with their heretical doctrines that they were coming up with and spreading. But I believe as we continue in the letter, you'll see both is a reason why. They were coming up with really bad doctrines that were bad, and they were also denying the power and the place of who the Lord Jesus Christ is in one's life. If you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior, most people just want him as a Savior and not Lord. He is the Lord and Savior. He controls what should happen in your life. So don't deny the proper place of the one who died on the cross for your sins to make a way for you to escape hell. It wasn't you on the cross. Jesus said, step aside. I'll go to the cross for you. I'll give you an opportunity to live eternal life. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, because your word is powerful, because of the Spirit of God uses your word to touch the hearts of the people. I pray right now, if there's anyone right here who wants to give their life to Jesus, this is the opportunity to do it. Now is the time, no longer denying Jesus, no longer playing religion, but now completely surrendered to you as Lord and Savior. And if there's anyone here today, as eyes are closed and heads bowed, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to know who God has touched in your heart, whose heart he has touched to save them from damnation, but in, for eternal life. Just raise your hand high enough. God bless you back there. God bless you back there. God bless you. Oh, you, you put your hands back down. It, just know. You have no guarantee for tomorrow. And that's not a pressure point. That's a reality point. Today is the only day you have right now. You have no guarantee for tomorrow. Is today the day you want to now decide to follow Jesus completely and surrender everything? Raise your hand and give your life to Jesus. Call him out in your heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a wicked sinner. 
Come into me and be my Lord and my Savior. Let me follow you the rest of the days of my life. Fill me with that mercy that Pastor talked about. Fill me with what your word said about peace and the love. I want, I want that in my life. Is there anyone else who wants to give their life to Jesus? Raise their hand. Anybody else? God bless you. And anyone who's listening online, I pray that you're raising your hand to Jesus. Call us and let us know that you gave your life to heart. Because I'm going to take Jesus. I want to give something to you as well. But those here who have given their life to Jesus, to help them to be discipled up in this new, new life they started. A child of God now. They have now a child of God in the family of God Oh, what beautiful purpose. And as we sang earlier to you, Lord Jesus, you're beautiful. <laughs> you're beautiful. 